HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of The Grape Nation is brought to you by Washington Wine. With over 1,000 wineries and 70 grape varieties, Washington State is home to wine the world is talking about. Learn more at WashingtonWine.org. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Gaia Gaia. We'll talk to Gaia about Barbaresco, Barolo, Tuscany, and more. We'll taste the Gaia, Barbaresco, and Barolo for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Born and raised in Barbaresco, Italy, Gaia Gaia is a fifth-generation winemaker. Along with her siblings and iconic father, Angelo, she oversees the family's legendary winery, Gaia, in Piemonte, Italy. Gaia represents a generational shift at the winery that dates back to 1859. Gaia has also been making wine in Tuscany and Bulgari for over 20 years. Welcome to the great nation, Gaia. Thanks so much. Um, there's a lot to talk about. And I hope we can get everything in. But I think the best way to frame the interview is the first thing that I'm interested in is your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are, which is really at the top of the family business. Then when we get through that, I just want you to give me a quick history of Gaia. Sure. So tell me how you got to here. I was uh, born in Barbaresco uh, 40 years ago from uh, my mother Lucia and my father Angelo which are both very very much involved in the in the winery and uh, I always grow up with them in the village of Barbaresco which is uh, my hometown and is also the place where our historic winery is uh, is located 
when you grow up in a village like Barbaresco, where everybody makes wine and you are inspired by your father and your mother, that both of them are involved with wine, it's quite, uh, it's almost quite obvious that you uh, uh, grow the dream of doing what, uh, what your parents are doing. So um, I always dream of uh, being able of bringing forward this beautiful family project. I uh, studied in my region, in, uh, in the Lange region. I uh, went to university uh, near Milan. I studied economy. Uh, after that, I spent one year in San Francisco uh, getting introduced to the world of wine, the U.S. Why wine. did you want to go to the U.S. and why San Francisco? Because um, because uh, U.S. has been a very significant uh, country for uh, my family. My father, uh, you know, my grandfather was a leader in the in, in the production of uh, fine wines, and his market was Italy and a little bit Switzerland and Germany. So my father is the one that uh, started to. Uh, present his wine, uh, our Barbaresco, around the world. And uh, unusually, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, unusually for many other producers, he didn't focus so much on the UK market or Germany, or uh, those were considered the historic uh, wine uh, consuming countries. But he decided to come to US, uh, which uh, was very different from today as a market. There was not right. the gastronomic scene of today. There was not a, it was quite a challenging uh, and, and uh, unusual idea because at the time Italy was represented by uh, all, as my father called them, cheap and cheerful wines. So Italy was not at the time the country of fine wines, was the country of uh, easy, easy, easy Lambrusco from cooperatives and Soave and Chianti in the Piazza. So the product was nothing great and the effort for marketing and imaging was almost non-existent in the U.S. There was not this expectation that Italy could make a fine terroir wines, <laughs> no? And so it's funny because my father's goal was absolutely not to make a cheerful wine, and uh, not, not cheerful and cheap. So um, he focused a lot on U.S., and uh, U.S. is a place where we got a great rewards, and uh, we grow a, a beautiful niche of wine lovers. That's an so amazing job. You were here. Were you working on that a little? And so yes, and so I worked a little bit for a distributor, for an importer, for a wine store, uh, um, and then uh, I loved San Francisco so much that I almost thought uh, uh, I'm going to stay here for good. Why going back to Barbaresco? So why did you decide to go? <laughs> because uh, growing up in Barbaresco, I have to tell you that there's always been a sort of prison for me because it's a tiny, tiny village. But um, uh, in San Francisco, I had some beautiful friends that loved to drink beautiful bottles of wine. And sometimes they were also bringing bottles of my own wine. And funny enough, I understood that I was giving for granted something very valuable. And mm. I, rem I still remember Barbaresco 1989 that mm. has been very significant for me because I was in San Francisco and I was uh, with friends. And when I drank that bottle, it was uh, so loud in the glass it was a screaming uh, of barbaresco it was was smelling like my village like was, my that was your call back and so i said wow if this wine is so loud it's talking to me so loud from the other side of the ocean and it's uh, it's significant
So you leave San Francisco, you go back because you want to be with the family at the winery with the intent of working. Yes. So um, what year is this? That was uh, October 2004. Okay. So the profession of my family has been going on and passed uh, from generation to generation and is happening right now uh, with uh, with us. And um Right now, I'm not the only one. Uh, I started in uh, 2004, but my sister, Rosana, that is two years younger than me, she started in 2009. And very happy, my, I'm very happy about uh, announcing that my brother, Giovanni, started uh, last year to work with us. So, so all the siblings see, are together. So I think it's very special. We are five, my mother, my father, and our, our, us three all working together. And um, you know that apart from our historic winery Barbaresco, we, in Barbaresco we also, my father developed two new projects in Toscana. I say new, but we'll they are... We'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that because I want to talk, you know, I don't want to brush over it. So you come back and you basically dig in. Your siblings join you. Mm -hmm. Your dad is, you know, prominent in the winery. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things happen from 2004 to now. Um, Give me a little brief history of the winery, more of the modern, you know, times. I think your, is it your grandfather, Giovanni? Yeah. Um, sure. So, uh, can I give just a background yeah. of the area? Because well, I think however it's, you want. It's very special, uh, the area of Lange, where I'm from. Uh, so, the area of Lange is an area that is roughly mm, 10,000 hectare big. And uh, in the area of Lange, there is the area of Barbaresco and Barolo, where Nebbiolo is mainly so cultivated. Is Barbaresco and Barolo in Lange? Correct. Okay. Yes. Which is in the Piedmonti region. Which is in Piedmonti right. region. Okay, south, just so everyone uh, can visualize. Sure, south of, uh, of Piemonte. And there we have a variety that is called Nebbiolo. And this variety is a variety that has a very gives you wine of great authenticity. What helps? Helps, for example, the fact that Nebbiolo, it's a variety that is cultivated all over the world in 7,000 hectares. Of these 7,000 hectares, 6,000 hectares are in Piemonte. Can, so can you imagine this variety, how connected it is with Piemonte? So we, we also produce Cabernet in Toscana. Cabernet is a variety that is planted in 350,000 hectares right. around the world. It's much smaller and yes. more specialized to that area. And the area of Lange is an area that has an incredible identity. There is a very important human factor that is very strong. I mean that the number of producers are many and they are grow. almost all of them are growers and they are family owned. So we are one of, uh, of those families. So we start from an area that um, is famous for, for making wines that they have uh, an authenticity and that they have a, a uniqueness. And um, with the variety in Ebbiolo, um, as I was saying before, you can make a Barolo or a Barbaresco. Historically, the Barolo producers uh, were the most uh, acclaimed and the most iconic producer of my region. because the They got the attention. They got the attention because I must say that Barolo is a little bit more historic than Barbaresco. Barolo is uh, more structured, so it's always been considered more ageable, more... Uh, more um, 
the tannic and the powerful. So I was going to ask you this question later, but you approached it now. The difference between Barolo and Barbaresco, because people see both, and if they're not that well-versed, you said that Barolo is more tannic. Barolo, the, the, the soil in Barolo is, uh, the soil in Barolo and Barbaresco is the same, is clay and limestone. But in Barolo, the soil is much more compact and gives you more compact structure, more tannic, more austere, wines of great structure, not immediately open and perfumed, you need to age them a bit longer. The wines from Barbaresco have always been compared to Barolo by, in the past, they were saying, they were saying Barolo, Barolo, Barbaresco is like a Barolo, but it's less. Barbaresco is like a Barolo, but less tannic, less structured, less ageable, less, less, less. So, but not really. It's different, not less. Yes, or I, or maybe is less, and this is the, yeah. the amazing beauty of Barbaresco. No? So there is also the saying that less is more. So Barbaresco... But you're saying that the compaction of the soil in Barolo has an effect on the final on the structure of on the, the wine structure. yes it's amazing and then of course other things the altitude so Bar- barolo is a slightly higher in altitude than baro than barbaresco right. so you get something a bit more uh, sharp uh, right all right so continue with the so, little history lesson so it's very unusual the history of my family because my family <clears> has <throat> always been a family producing barbaresco since uh, 1859 so uh, at that time was regardless of how ambitious you were how uh, hard you were working uh, you could be the best producer of uh, wine number two so my family uh, focused the first generation starting in 1859 and then followed my great-grandfather which obviously I didn't meet but I met my grandfather Giovanni he was born in 1908. He died in uh, 2002. So I have a lot of memories of, right. uh, of him. He was around while you. He was around, and nice. what I the, the the thing my my grandfather was living for Barbaresco. His only mission in life was uh, to um, put Barbaresco on the map and to make it uh, known to the to the most. And there were there were a lot of guys like that in the region. <laughs> yes, I mean he was passionate, but the whole region. Were yes. farmers and winemakers. Yeah, but there is one thing that my grandfather had that, with time, I understood. My grandfather had an incredible faith. He had a belief in Barbaresco, and how important. When I think of him, I think that how, with so much dignity and belief, he was approaching every everything. No, he had a great respect uh, of uh, of his wine, of his work, of his time, of the wi- the time of the of the workers. Uh, so when you do things with the belief, you uh, yeah, I, I think that. The belief and conviction, the product is always going to be genuine. Yes, uh, it's, uh, you know, every time he had some bad vintages, uh, he had no problem uh, in selling in bulk uh, what he thought was not uh, right. uh, dignifying his barbaresco. Didn't and pass said, for him. Yeah. So, he would. so little by little, uh, even though it was coming from barbaresco and not barolo, he became uh, recognized uh, that people could trust the quality of his, uh, his wines. And then he did another thing that was very important. He bought uh, 
some beautiful vineyards. So in the 30, 40, 50, 60s, uh, in a moment when uh, I also have to say that the region of Lange was not, was not as wealthy as it is today. Uh, it became wealthy in a very short time, but it has always been the quite property values. Uh, yes. But he had the foresight to understand the land is that, what's important uh, that, and that I need our, more. Our valuable uh, uh, resource was the land. Right. So with great knowledge about his village, uh, he bought some beautiful vineyards. Then, and then uh, your my dad father, is born to Giovanni, right? Yes. My father comes in. Uh, my father was born in 1940, so it's right. a very important year for him uh, this year. He's going to turn 80 oh, in uh, March. Oh, a big year! <laughs> wow. So he was born uh, the 7th of March, uh, 1940, and in 1961 uh, he uh, started to work together with my grandfather. At the ripe young age of 21. Yes. Okay. And uh, I, my grandf- my father, my grandfather had achieved already some great uh, uh, results. Uh, I was saying he, he bought some beautiful vineyard. The name of my winery, thanks to my grandfather's uh, um, decisions, was, was well known. Um, so when my father came in, uh, he started to focus on other aspects. He started to focus on uh, reconsidering uh, viticulture, winemaking, uh, uh, so he, ideas. your dad comes in at the young age of 21. Your grandfather innovated, bought property, you know, mm-hmm. quality and all of that. Your dad comes in. Of course, it's not hard to talk about Gaia without getting into it with your dad a little. Um, you always said he was an optimist, questioned everything. Um, he was always looking for new ideas. Very important. So he comes him. in, and that's what he does. So let's talk about, I mean, when he gets there, does he start doing this right away? I mean, you know, it's been many years. But t- let's talk about the things that he did. For for what I know, for the first 10 years, uh, my grandfather did, didn't allow him uh, to okay. uh, touch the wine. All right. So that's, <laughs> that kind of sounds typical, right? So you go in the vineyard and yeah. you work uh, and you, you stay over here. And you stay yeah. over here. So, um, but, I'm sure uh, he was anxious oh, to get going. Yes. My father is a very impatient person uh, and he's always... Uh, thinking and thinking. So there are some people in the villages that they remember my father when he was 20 years old, uh, driving the tractor very fast. Yes, and very fast uh, walk, uh, always. I can, I can see that even now, it's like this. So, when so my tell fa- me about innovations and changes. So it's ironic, for 10 years, patiently, he stood by the side of his dad, and then at a point on, he had a very impact. But uh, I can tell you that one thing I learned by working near uh, my father is that uh, he, uh, for him, the research of quality is uh, uh, it has to do with uh, trying to be different. So um, 
without trying to be different, there would be, can you imagine, there would be no comparisons. Uh, the, right. the, 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 the quality would, uh, would not grow. So um, when he has to take a decision, uh, usually he always favors uh, an idea that is uh, different. Uh, and he is... Uh, That's uh, called a contrarian. Is a contrarian, yes. For sure, right? See, but mm, but based, calculated. But based on knowledge, so before taking a decision, you also study and uh, try to understand uh, um, every detail of these new decisions he's taking. So um, he, all his life, he has been like that. When he started to work in the winery. Um, he loved the wines, but he also had the, the feeling that it was uh, complicated to consistently achieve uh, all we could achieve because uh, mm, some issues, uh, you know, uh, he started to change the density of plants per hectare. The density were much lower at the time respect to today. Uh, so when so you not much thought was given to that. You just planted, harvested, made wine. He started looking at everything and making changes? He started to try it. His focus was, let's try to have uh, uh, as much as possible to achieve ripe grapes uh, every year. Why don't we always achieve a full ripeness in grape? Because uh, the production was also a, a bit wider. There was a bit more quantity produced per plant uh, respect to today. So imagine... Uh, Cut for, back? Yeah, for a late ripening variety like Nebbiolo, if on top of that you have big bunches and you have a lot of bunches on a plant, it takes even longer for the vine right. to, uh, to ripe it. And so how can he, how can he reduce... Uh, how could he reduce the quantity per plant? Higher density, more competition between vines, no? uh, <coughs> searching for, for rootstock that had less vigor. Um, so for sure, every time he had to replant the vineyards, he started to replant them with a different exposure. No, sorry, the vineyard always has the same exposure. It can be a south-facing slope. Right. But instead of planting the rows horizontally, it was planting them vertical. Which, so that, which you, makes the sun, for example, touch both sides of the rows during the day instead of having only one and side. And if you drove by, it would be very noticeable because everyone's going this way. Sure. But there is a, I, I'm not saying that this, this was the right way of doing things. It was Trying. his way of doing Right. Because it doesn't yeah. exist the best way. Right. There is the good and the bad in everything you do. Right. Um, and then uh, uh, he, he didn't only uh, implement a different uh, way of uh, um, doing viticulture because uh, he introduced uh, short pruning. You know, with Nebbiolo, usually in the past the people were leaving 12, 15 uh, gems, no? and each gem makes uh, grapes, uh, bunches, and so the, right. the, was kept very long, the branch from where the grapes were growing. And my father started to short down the number of gems, bringing it down to eight. And this was very innovative uh, at the time. And then on top of that, uh, started to also introduce the green harvest, uh, 
Which is what? Green harvest is, uh, but it's ready to do it systematically on every vineyard. Green harvest means that in the month of June, July, uh, meanwhile uh, you are approaching harvest time, uh, little by little you start to cut and drop on the floor bunches that are developing. So you reduce the number of uh, grapes that remain on the plant so that uh, all the energy of each vine goes concentrated to uh, to, goes focused the yes on the on the few bunches that you leave uh, that you leave on uh, on the plant so a lot of things started to change inside the vineyard and so the grapes started to change you started to have uh, uh, grapes that were more cons- they, they were reaching uh, ripeness consistency and ripeness was sure. his goal and he was able to accomplish yeah. And so, he, uh, because he had a different raw material, uh, he started also to try different things inside the cellar. So, uh, he started to uh, approach uh, maceration uh, with a different uh, um, idea, no? trying to be uh, um, kinder in, in the way of uh, um, crushing the grapes. Gentler. Less intervention. Because when you have grapes that are more ripe, right. you don't need to. Uh, right. they, they, ex- they can be extracted more uh, more easily. And then he also introduced uh, um, fermenters that uh, had a, a, a thermocontrolled temperature, uh, which were an innovation at the time. They came out in the early 80s and immediately so that tried was new. them. And malolactic? And then um, the malolactic, uh, we started to make it in, in wood. He introduced a small He had cask. this, I wouldn't say obsession, but French oak and other oak, right? Ma, I think that the innovation was not to take French oak and bring it to the cellar. The innovation was not to take barrique, that is a, a tool more common in of France and bring it to the winery. The innovation was to study and to be open to this uh, new tool uh, and try to understand how to adapt the use of a, a small cask to a variety like Nebbiolo and how to adapt it to our tradition. Because uh, in the cellar we never kicked away the big barrels. Right. We always kept them, but we also introduced uh, barrique. So he's always open to uh, to experiment and is not afraid of new uh, I think no new even ideas. Today. No, even today, even though he's turning 80, I think yeah. it's really a characteristic of his uh, personality. He uh, believes that quality comes from an open mindness. He has never been dogmatic. Um, and so I was saying before that my do grandfather... You, do you carry that? I mean, is that part of the way you see things? He's very brave and very positive. More than anyone. I am a little bit right. less than him. But kudos to him for how long ago, how long he's been doing it and all yes. the risks. Yeah. But it, it's nice that uh, in the family there is a, a strong belief because we are very proud and we truly believe that we are doing something special. But at the same time, there is a, also a pillar of our philosophy is the doubt, the, the always uh, open mind to new way of doing things without being convinced 100% that what we do is the only way. Right. So we believe, but also we are open to... Uh, What's your things. relationship with him now? 
it's fun. I, I know. That wasn't there a story where there were a couple of stories where you clashed on major things like the Barbaresco DOCG mm-hmm. biodynamic farming mm-hmm. where you had ideas you would discuss with him, right? Yes, uh, we discuss a lot. Uh, at least I have a father that is open-minded so we can discuss and he listens and then maybe he has a different idea and he tried to convince me and I tried to convince him and we go back and forward and Sorry, I keep saying me, but I have to tell you that we are like one only thing, me, my brother, right. and, uh, and my sister. Right, that we, t- we know that. Yeah. About uh, biodynamic, for example, uh, in reality, we are not biodynamic. Uh, I'm not uh, presenting my wine as organic, neither. Even though there is an incredible attention to uh, biodiversity, which is the, the main uh, focus of our viticulture, despite we have been able of eliminating every sort of uh, uh, um, chemical sanitized right. uh, product, and we are very low with sulfur and copper. But, uh, so without the labels, yeah. you're applying the practices. We do apply the as practices, uh, but uh, our practices that we... Um, try to um, develop, so we, we don't follow a certain protocol. Uh, right. We, uh, and this, see, I have to give credit to my father because when I started to work in 2004, moved by a great ambition, uh, I started to say to my father, let's apply, let's do one step forward, let's push it a little bit and let's uh, apply uh, biodynamic uh, farming, which is uh, the ultimate dream of, of every producer. And um, and my father thought about it a little bit and then came back to me and he said, I, I think we have to do something different. And I said, but dad, that's different. That was different. That's different. Then. There's no one here that does this sort of uh, farming. So that's a way to be different. And he thought about it again. And then after a while, he came back to me and said, uh, no, but... Uh, there are already producers that are biodynamic. We have to do something different. And at the beginning... Very I th- consistent oh, with his... With his uh, <laughs> philosophy. Oh. And at the beginning, I thought that well, I was very uh, upset about this because, uh, because it's the, uh, the ultimate achievement that uh, I, I had in mind. But uh, I have to, again, give him a big credit for... Uh, uh, helping me to uh, develop a new system of working that uh, is very original and there is a value by the fact that our way of working is original. So the way we farm the land today is with our historic uh, Workers with right. our team, and they represent our know-how and our tradition. But in the last 15 years, we added little by little a group, a side of our team that is a group of uh, um, university professors. I can say that they are a sort of consultants, and what they have in common is that none of them. Uh, Uh, is an expert of viticulture or winemaking. So we can grow our knowledge by having synergies with the university professors that are experts of other things that are botanists. It's it's sort of a next step tapping into the diversity of their talent and knowledge. Trying to understand what goes on in our vineyard. 
yeah. It's you not thought really... you knew everything and there's so much more. And in reality, we know about vines, but we don't know about the grass, about the So let me ask you this. Um, is Barbaresco, Barolo, Piedmont, Lange, is that a region that's been affected by climate change? Sure. You know, when you harvest, I know you had a quest for ripeness and consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, how did that play in? I mean, does that push you towards, as you mentioned, biodiversity and yes, because sustainability? I think, yes, I think that every producer around the world today uh, is more careful to, uh, to, the, to, to sustainability. Everyone tries in a right. way or in another to be more sustainable. I think that climate change has is giving to every producer around the world so many new challenges that became even more clear that is the vineyard, the place where you have to solve those challenges. So in the 80s, in the 90s, the big topic was the seller. Are you using barrique? Are you using big cask? How long is your maceration? Which which sort of uh, fermenter you use? So the the the, the discussion of uh, quality was much more focused on the seller than not the vineyard. Climate change uh, switched. Now you have to pay attention. Switched the, the the topic back to the back to the to the vineyard and. Um, I think we think that the only way we can counterface climate change and the challenges of climate change is uh, uh, to bust and to to bust our our land, our soils of life is uh, to keep them alive, because climate change is uh, not climate change is. Uh, Presenting a, 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 a bigger stress is is um, is a stressing our vines more, and not only the vines is stressing the soil much more. So can you imagine? Uh, so why biodiversity can be an answer to climate change? Right. A, easy example: you can have now um, quite prolonged months. Uh, time with the drought and very high temperature. An example was 2017 in Barbaresco, but also in Toscana, we got 80 days without rain, and the temperature that every day they were going up to 100 oh, Fahrenheit. Hot and then, and Yeah, dry. hot. And then during the night, they were not dropping so much. Mm. So can you imagine how stressful it is for vines and for soil to go through 80 days of dry and super hot days? So if you have a soil that is alive, if you have a soil that is full of biodiversity, basically if you have a soil that is full of organic matter, which are leftover roots of grass that grow on it and then died, you have in your soil a sort of sponge. You have a soil that is able of holding moist more than a soil that has no life inside. At the same, so can be, if you have an alive soil, it's a soil that reacts to drought. If you have a soil that is covered by grass, you have a soil that has a sort of umbrella on it. It's a soil that doesn't get burned right. immediately by the, by the sun. Yeah, But also climate change is giving us much more violent uh, rains. So you have a huge amount of water coming down. The same quantity of water that comes down in a, a week now can come down in 15 minutes. 
So especially in the area of Barolo and Barbaresco, where you have a very steep hills, uh, is a big problem erosion. So if you have a soil that, that has grass, uh, it's a soil that doesn't get eroded. Less erosion. Less erosion. And can suck some of the rain up too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so biodiversity can help you with these extremes. And without mentioning the problem with sicknesses, because... Uh, When we think about climate change, we think about a bigger sun that makes the photosynthesis, makes the circle of vegetation goes faster. But it's not only plants, also animals. Insects, for example, from the moment they put down the eggs and the moment that they develop, they go faster. So you have much less frame of time to understand what's going on in your vineyard and understand how to fight uh, the new past. Everything is going faster. So also the topic of uh, uh, past is becoming, uh, they, they are more com- complicated whole, to be fought. Right, the whole culture of the vineyard. Yeah. Cover and, crops, pests, birds. Yeah, and, and warm weather is uh, appealing to many of these. Like right. They live a longer life. Right. Um, New one are coming in. So if you so have plant vigor, preventing erosion, and soil quality are really soil quality and prime. biodiversity. Meaning that if you have a vineyard that is uh, rich in grass, in flowers, that has a lot of uh, insect uh, funguses, uh, it's uh, a vineyard where uh, one issue doesn't prevaricate on the others. Right. Uh, you create a right. Balance. Um, we have to take a quick break, but before we do that, I wanted to ask you one question. Um, women seem to play an important role in wines and wineries and the families in Piedmont, maybe more than other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are two important people in the Gaia universe you know, that are important. I think your mom, who's sort of a quiet giant, who's, sure. you didn't mention her, but she part She's of it. She's the most unreplaceable. And then was it a grandmother who just had this obsession for quality? The grandmother of my father. Yeah. She had a, her name was Clotilde Rey. And again, I didn't meet her because she died uh, in 1961. But I heard so many things from my grandfather and from my father. She was very charismatic. She was very severe. She was a woman never smiling. But she was uh, so strong in personality that she was directing all the decisions in the family. She was the keeper of the savings. uh, And thankfully, because uh, maybe also because of the fact that she was a teacher, so she knew how to write, how to, uh, how to read. She had a culture, which in the countryside uh, was unusual. Right. In the countryside, farmers have an incredible culture about the soil. But uh, she, uh, she brought a different vision and ambition uh, and the pride that uh, was not there before. So, so a major, major influence. Influence, and especially because then she raised my grandfather, my father, and she brought uh, them to... Strong women to, make to, great wines. Yes. All right, Gaia, we have to take a quick break. Hold your thought. Um, we're talking to Gaia Gaia from the winery Gaia. Uh, when we come back, I want to get into the wines. I want to taste a few things. I didn't tell you this, but I'll subject you to our wine list where you have to answer a couple of questions. Um, so you're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
This episode of The Grape Nation is brought to you by Washington Wine. Great wine requires great fruit, and Washington State's wine-growing region have that department covered. Washington is home to 14 growing regions, 1,000 wineries, and 70 grape varieties, including Riesling, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah. Learn more about Washington Wines and their growers at WashingtonWine.org. During this time, it's more important than ever to support independent growers and winemakers, no matter where you are. There are options to shop online and join Washington wine clubs that ship nationally. Find out about the wines the world is talking about at WashingtonWine.org. Okay, we're back. We're back with my guest, Gaia Gaia. And... Guy, I want to talk to you. First, I want to set it up and tell me if I'm wrong. You, you, one of the things you do with the wineries, you travel the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are a touch point. You are an ambassador. You're a representative. I think Barbaresco and Barolo are celebrating a great time now. You're right. I think the recognition, the popularity, the collectability, the critical acclaim is sort of at a great spot. I don't think it's going to peak and go away. I think it's finally, you know, at a level. Sure. Do you agree with that? I totally agree. I think that Why is that and why now? The wines have never been better than today, yeah? And this is because, uh, in, in part, I have to say that uh, despite we are worried about climate change, uh, how can we not ad- admit that climate change also helped? Because uh, a variety like Nebbiolo that ripes so slowly and so late, uh, uh, like all the other late ripening varieties, they, they have been uh, helped by the fact that now you can pick them in October, November, but you can pick them uh, under a beautiful uh, warm right. sun and not under pouring rain. Right. But uh, is also the quality of uh, the producer that uh, raised, the, the winemaking style. So I think that the Lange region went through 25, 30 years of fights between producers, you know, because uh, my father was pushing for a change and introducing uh, new ideas and many producers followed him. And there were many producers that they were representing the tradition and they were upset about these changes and they didn't see, they were seeing only the bad side and not the good side of the innovations. So through this uh, what happened thanks to new ideas that were introduced in the 70s 80s like we were saying before oak treatment uh, uh, rootstock and so on started between producers a confrontation and a questioning of tradition that for hundreds of years never happened so 
through this painful confrontation, people learned, and all of them, they improved. So you, you notice that just 15, 20 years ago, there was a, the description of a wine was that this is a traditional wine, this is a modernist wine. Now we are over that. Right. It's no longer... It doesn't the have to be. style is refined, which is great because it's giving you a chance of having even more of a pure expression and precise expression of the variety and of the, of the site. So right now, all the producers are, I think, are, are making wines better than in many other regions. And everyone, to improve and to innovate, is focusing in viticulture. And so this is the new boundary, the new way to, uh, to improve. So all producers are really producing better than in the past. I'm curious, because if you look at certain regions, if you look at Napa, there's been a movement towards restraint. There were these big, opulent wines. Were the wines that way in Barbaresco and Barolo? They were just these big wines. Are they more restrained now? Is that part of the evolution of you know what they've become or the quality, or have they been similar for the past 20, 30 years? Now, you, have, you may have been making wines that have been more restrained, but in general. Ma the, 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 the wines of Barolo, the, the producers of Barolo and Barbaresco, they always had a little bit of a complex. When they started to compare themselves around the world, they started to have a complex of being a too harsh, too dry, not expressive of fruit. So a way to improve was also from all the producers starting to focus in trying to have wines more full, more fruit forward. So in this trend that also helped everyone to make better wines, there have been some extremes. And those extremes perhaps were more evident in the, in the 90s, in the 2000s. 2000, uh, so you also had more examples of wine that were slightly more baroque in, uh, in style. And for sure in the last 10 years there has been a going back uh, in that, so like uh, is happening in, 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 in Napa. Yeah, so there are less you know, wines that way, so it did, it did make a move in that sense. All right, let's talk about the wines specifically. Um, Gaia is Barbaresco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Gaia makes Barolo. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, you make about four Barbarescos? Yes. Four Barolos? We make uh, three Barolo, three and, Barolo. Uh, and four Barbaresco. But when I, my historic family Barbaresco is, uh, is on the label as only one word, Barbaresco. Barbaresco. Yes. No vineyard. No vineyard designation. No, no designation. No. Right. Are, are 14 different sites. And then we make three single vineyard Barbaresco, focus only on a site. Sorry San Lorenzo, Sorry Tildina and Costa Russi. Right. Yeah. So quickly... Each bottling is a different site. How much difference is there in soil exposure? Hmm. Um, the Barbaresco is a blend of different sites. Yeah. The other ones are expressions of yeah. that site, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. When you come, um, if, you, if you just Google Barbaresco or Barolo, go to check uh, pictures of how the area is, uh, you will discover that right. it's very dramatic, the shape of the, of the region. So when you come to, 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 to Barolo and Barbaresco, you don't have one only big valley, but you have endless numbers of valley with different shapes. You don't have a flat land 
uh, but you have a lot of uh, hilly uh, the, uh, sites. So, um, respect, for example, to Bordeaux, where uh, when you talk about Bordeaux wines, it's all about uh, the soil. Eh? because uh, Bordeaux is flat, and so it's really the soil. Uh, right, the, the, it, it the varies element, uh, from Saint-Emilion to Saint-Julien, sure. but the... The more important uh, element yeah. that differentiates the wines is the soil. I don't mean that the soil is not important in Langes. No. It's super important. But what is even more important than the soil is... Uh, your vineyard at which altitude is planted if it's on the top of a hill or in the middle if it's facing south or west or east if it's uh, very steep or less steep if it's close to the river or more far away if you mix all these characters uh, together with a soil that can be more compact less compact uh, geologically older with more sand you have endless uh, types of wine with one only variety in Ibiolo that is a variety that has a is a perfect terroir variety, if I can use this expression, meaning that Nebbiolo is a, a very essential, pure variety. It's not a variety that actually uh, uh, booms in the glass for its perfumes and, and doesn't even have an intense uh, flavor. It's a variety that stays back. So when we talk about people, we have different personalities. But Nebbiolo has a very discreet, quiet personality. So it's a variety that really gives you the opportunity of showing the soil and showing the vintage more than uh, anything else. So the different sites express what's going on sure. right there. Yeah. And that's why you separate that. Now, what about the Barolos? The Barolos is, well, is, is, is the same. Barolo right. and Barbaresco all have this um, uh, shape and uh, characteristic. The Barolo wines are, um, in a way, for me, I like to say that Barolo are more earthy. They are like the expression. They, 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 when, I, when I smell a Barolo, I can smell the earth. I can smell a more wet soil. More than the Barbaresco. See, and I right. can smell whatever is underground, so the roots. Uh, or the truffles, uh, or uh, the, the, the moist of the soil. When I smell a barbaresco, I can smell the air. Barbaresco is ethereal, it's uh, flowers, is uh, sweet spices, is uh, crunchy red fruit. Right. So they are two different expressions of, uh, right. of um, Nebbiolo. Let's talk about vintages, I think, of late there's been, been yes. some pretty good vintages. Yes, we've been 16, very lucky. 16, 15. Yes. Just yeah. give me a little take on each one. I also have to say that I really like 14, despite... But was uh, that considered a tough vintage? It, was, it, it okay. was very, very tough. Good winemakers make good wine and tough vintages, and tough I don't think guy is going to be questioned. So. If you have a good site in 2014, you made something right. very nice. So 14, tough year, but you felt you were able to make good wine. It was tough because the summer was so rainy that nothing ripened in the right. summer. But then in September and October... Dry the weather enough. continued to be very cold but uh, and not so sunny but but dry and so the grapes <coughs> they fully riped and you have an ex what i what i find very interesting of 14 is that you have a very very ripe tannins because the grapes they ripe fully well but they ripe in a cool climate and so it's very ripe Different. but doesn't have a fruit expression it's more um, it's more subtle it's very interesting and, and and becomes more and more rare a vintage like that 
Um, and then we had a 15, a 2015 vintage, which is actually the wines we're going to drink now. The Barolo is uh, 2015. And 15 was very warm. And uh, it's a vintage that... Uh, so it was warm, especially the summer was warm and dry. So the vineyards that have more compact soil, they perform very well. Because those soil, you know, when you have a compact soil, it takes longer for that soil to dry out, ah. to warm up. And so those vineyards, and especially in Barolo area, where the soil is more compact, they went through the dry and hot summer much better. And you end up having wines that they have a classic structure, but at the same time, they have an expression of fruit, uh, and they have a, a roundness, and uh, and that, that is m- much more appealing than usual. It sounds like a good vintage. Very good. And then ten was great. And then ten, very classic. Uh, yes. Classic. Classic uh, middle structure. All the wines uh, for me are middle structure. They're not full structured. What does that mean? I Meaning, mean, I think I know what you mean. They're middle medium in body or presentation they're not light they're not a heavy wine they're yeah. right where they should be almost yeah sometimes i have the feeling that if, if it's the first time <clears throat> you try a barolo barbaresco and you heard so much about barolo barbaresco you can even get disappointed meaning that uh, when you hear something uh, you expect maybe a bigger wine and I think that the wines, they have uh, big tannins, but they are also fleeting and they are quite... Uh, right. uh, it's not it? everything you want. They're yeah, just... they're not super compact and right. concentrated. Right. That's what I mean. Right. Um, you're also making white wine. Yes. One of the early white wines was named after you. Yes. That's a Chardonnay-based wine. Yes, this was one of the uh, the experiments that my father started uh, in the late 70s. Uh, mm, You know, if you go to a beautiful wine region like Burgundy, you have Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. That, uh, and with those two varieties, you can make complex and ageable wines. They, it's like they, they, they walk the same road. When you come to Piemonte, you have an incredible variety that is Nebbiolo. And then you have beautiful varieties like Mor- Moscato or Arnese, but they walk another road. They, they, they don't go in the same direction. So my father had the will of uh, trying to see if it was possible to have a white wine that could reflect the sight uh, at the best, because for me, for us, if you want to, if you want to, the, the wine is the memory of a place. Right. So to have a more neat and and precise and deep memory of a place, you need to have a wine that can age. Because when the wine is young, the wine is more superficial. That's why the memory. When you smell a young wine, you have a fruit, uh, uh, flowers. Is almost like the wine is uh, remembering that just three years before was fruit and flowers. Right. If you wait 10, 15, because if you have a wine it, that can age, then becomes very precise the expression of a, of a site. So he tried with a variety Chardonnay that. Uh, we already knew in the late 70s that had an aging potential and he thought uh, good it's a variety that can age uh, as much as a Nebbiolo does here we have the soil the the climate we have an ethic for making ageable wines red let's see if we can do the same with uh, with white and so in 1979 
uh, on the top of a hill facing south in a perfect spot for planting nebbiolo and making barbaresco, he decided to pull out the nebbiolo and tried a white grape, never pr- uh, tried before. White that for my uh, uh, local uh, people uh, has always <coughs> been considered a joke respect to the re- serious wine is red, it's not white, that's a bit the idea in the area. But I think that Gallera is serious white wine. So, not large production, right? Gallera, we have uh, now we have two vineyards. The one that was planted in 1979 in the Barbaresco, original. and then in 1988 uh, we could buy a, a piece of land in Serralunga and Barolo. And so ah. we we now our Gallera comes from both Barbaresco and Barolo area, and we have a production of. Uh, 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 1,800 cases. So it's small mm. relative to the other things. All right, we can't move ahead without talking about another important part of the history line of Gaia. In the mid-90s, sure. you ventured about, what, 300 kilometers away to Tuscany in the Bulgari. Yeah. So tell me about their a couple of wineries there. Why did you go there? <laughs> you know, what, what, what? because uh, again, my father is uh, uh, my father needs dreams, uh, and the more time goes on, the more he doesn't want to live with regrets, but he wants to keep himself uh, uh, engaged with the new dreams so and new, new challenges, <laughs> new opportunities, challenges. And also, yes, and also he thought about his family. Um, in 1993, my brother was born 14 years after after me. Same mother, same father. But uh, the <laughs> you didn't family, have to say that. Well, you know, that happened. <laughs> it happened. And uh, so the family growed, and so suddenly there was me, there was my sister, there was my brother. My father felt very optimistic about uh, about the, the, the future of uh, of the of the family business. He also had no idea if uh, we siblings uh, were going to be tight together and going along well or not. And so he's always thinking, and so he thought, okay, if. Uh, I have two other sites, they can take care each one of his own site. He was unable even thinking that we, were, we didn't want to be in the wine business. He thought about developing a business for each one. So in 93 Giovanni was born, in 94 he bought a little estate in Montalcino was a running estate, a, a beautiful estate uh, producing Brunello di Montalcino, and so we continue, we, we uh, took over the, the production of Brunello. The winery is called Pieve Santa Restituta. P-I-E-V-E. Exactly. Santa, S-A-N-T-A. Restituta. Restituta, R-E-S-T-I-T-T-U-T-A, whatever. I'll, I'll yeah. post everything. <laughs> and Pieve Santa Restituta takes the name from a church because it's incredible. We bought uh, 27 hectares. The of, church uh, is on the property, yes, right? Yes, and in the center there is a church. And, uh, and you've restored or you've... We restored it. and That's uh, special. Yes. Now, can people come and visit the church or it's on the family property? But the church is on the family property 
sometimes it happens that people come we'll along, come. come and they ask if they can they can walk in the church. So you're making what is it? A couple of wines? Sh- we sugar, make su- sugarille, sugarille that everybody Renini, thinks. Renina. Yes, Renina. Sugarille people think come from the word sugar, right. and so they say sugarille. But no, is uh, is that I don't know how you say in English. Is the toponi, toponomic toponi, toponimo is the historic name of the site. And sugarille comes from the Italian word sughero. Sughero is a, a cork tree. So sugarille ah. for sure means that there were a lot of uh, cork trees around. So we make a single vineyard, Brunello. So it's a very unusual uh, Toscan way of making wine. It's more Piemontese, the so idea you, of the single vineyards. You brought your our philosophy our vision of wine so usually when you are in Montalcino there is Rosso di Montalcino then there is Brunello di Montalcino and then there is Brunello di Montalcino Riserva we uh, what's the difference that the the Rosso di Montalcino is made always with Sangiovese but comes out uh, with a fast aging uh, uh, quickly the Brunello uh, by law has to be released five years after the vintage Brunello Riserva is one year longer of aging comes out after after six our um, we work only with Sangiovese and we make only Brunello we don't make Rosso we don't make Brunello Riserva we make a single vineyard Sugarille we make Rennina that comes from three vineyards that are touching each other that are all in the same area and then we make Brunello without name of area or without name of vineyard and uh, it's a blend of right. Sangiovese coming from every them. site yes um, and not to get complacent or bored you wanted to work with other varietals so you stay in the region and I guess you go a little west to yes, Bulgari. West, exactly. An area where I would move. Personally, I find it stunning. When I when I leave Barbaresco, bello, yes, it's very nice. It's wild. It's wild, meaning that you have vineyards, it, but you have a lot of woods. You have it's a, still that way. So that's still special. quite wild. Yes, nice. And then you are close to the beach, close to the sea. There is a beautiful light all years long. And um, and actually, it would even make sense to move uh, to Bulgaria as we have a winery. But for now, I think that when you take over, when, when you are trying to learn a profession, uh, and when you are lucky enough to have a master, and I have a master, um, it's important to stay close together. So the reason right. why I live in Barbaresco and my siblings does the same, do the same is that... Uh, in, in learning a profession, there are things that you have to learn from books, but then there are other things that they are just, a, they happen, it is an oral conveyance. And, and you can't learn commitment, you can't learn attitude, right. you can't learn a, a, a taste. It's only by living close to together that in almost in an esoteric way, I, at I, the end, they pass. It makes total sense. Uh, so. Just because physically a vineyard is over here. Yeah. You need to be 
together as a family because of all the dynamics yeah. that are important. But I really love Bolgrin. I, I travel down to Bolgrin. So every tell week. me some of the wines you're making. The varietals are more European, right? But the, the, the varieties are, um, are Bordeaux varieties because right. Bolgrin is a, a new region for, for Italy and is working with the new varieties, basically. It's uh, the, the, the seaside of Tuscany didn't have a long history with the production of wine simply because uh, was uh, is a flat area near the seaside uh, that often was flooded and so there was not uh, an, an, an agriculture uh, in, 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 I mean an agriculture like, like uh, vineyards when right. you plant vineyards they live for 70 years it's a very long uh, um, relation that you have with plants. So it's the area of Italy that uh, became very well known for the production of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon mainly. Few areas are exceptional for the production of Merlot and there is also very good production of Cabernet Franc. And so there we the focus uh, yeah, we focus a lot on Cabernet Franc, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and uh, Merlot. And that is Camarcanda? Camarcanda. Right. So you have Pieve Center Restituta and Camarcanda, which are your Tuscan, Bulgari properties. Um, I will post everything. Um, All right. We have to wrap up soon, but nobody leaves without answering my wine list. I'm going to ask you five questions about your wine preferences. You didn't tell me about that. Don't dwell on them. It's easy. You won't be stumped. So here's the first question. What are you drinking now? What are you, what's in the fridge? What are you experimenting with? Do the seasons change? When you travel, do you try other things? I, uh, now, not we're drinking now, Barbaresco and Spurs, but what do well, you... Now, I love to drink young vintages. I'm focusing a lot on young vintages. Of? Of, of Barbaresco, especially. Uh, is a great way for me to learn about uh, what the other producers do. Uh, what's their? Uh, you're talking other people's wines too. See, si, I enjoy. Uh, okay. I enjoy that. So you're drinking Nebbiolo, young vintages. Often I do. Yes. Anything non-Nebbiolo? Sure, I drink uh, um, Riesling. I enjoy okay. Riesling, uh, Grunewald Kliner from, uh, from Austria. I enjoy those too. Obviously, I'm very intrigued by Nerello Mascalese in Sicily because uh, we have a project there. With the Graci with, uh, with, family? Uh, yes, with uh, this incredible man that is called Alberto Graci, Graci. Sicilian producer. Uh, Mount Etna. Mount Etna, yes. So Nerello, Nerello, Nerello Mascalese. Nerello Mascalese is a variety that is very similar to Nebbiolo. All right, so you're drinking that. Those are terrific wines, great value, great quality. (laughs) They're kind of hot, too. Yes. This is the other one. All right, good on the first question. Second question. This is kind of the goofiest question. Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something as a kid or an adult when you put this food and this wine together? It's just. But I don't know if people. And not hear, something you eat all the time. Mm, I don't know if here people uh, eat rabbit. No. <laughs> we do. Very big in Italy. Uh, so, so wrapper prepared how? Roasted rabbit with, roasted? Uh, with, with some wine. So it's very important which wine you use. Well, that's know. the question. Which wine? Barbaresco. Bar- okay. And then I oh, drink boy. it with Barbaresco. All right. All right. <laughs> This question, it's 
What's your favorite wine restaurant and or bar? Now, I do the show in New York, and a lot of the people are based in New York, but in the small village of Barbaresco in that area, are there good places where they have good wine and good wine knowledge? I mean... I don't want to. I don't want to offend anyone because I have That's, a long I'm list afraid of, that. of favorite. But if you ask, if you tell me, I have to say one. Then I really enjoy uh, the restaurant in Serralunga called Centro Storico, that is run by Alessio and uh, Stefania. Okay. Alessio has a nickname. Everybody knows him as a Ciccio. And Ciccio is uh, a guy that uh, is very entertaining and loves Nebbiolo and he has an incredible selection of Nebbiolo and Champagne. That's what I was I really for. like that place. Um, all right, two more questions. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? Do you have a wine that... The question used to be, what was the rarest, most expensive wine that you tasted? Now it's more, what's the most important wine you've had or had the biggest impact on you? Was it that 87 Bravo. in San Francisco? Yeah, I was going to say that. The Barbaresco 89 was very significant 89. for me. Yeah. So that's a wine that still resonates with you. Yeah. All right, last question. This may be tough for you, but I think you could do it. Can you recommend a red and a white wine for 15 to 20 American dollars that my kids in their 20s can't afford to spend 40, 50, and they don't want to bring a crappy bottle for 10. You could give me a category. For like, like Riesling is, you can for get. For my region, I really enjoy Dolcetto. Okay. And dolcetto is dolcetto absolutely is a great answer. Oh, and it's misunderstood. And this word, the dolcetto, people think is dolce, is sweet, uh, and it's uh, the, there has been no one uh, among the dolcetto producers that has been able of promoting and explaining dolcetto outside from uh, from Piemonte. And it's a wine that uh, is is uh, an everyday wine. Uh, there are some beautiful dolcetto. Give me a white example. And like the that. white example uh, Do- doesn't have to be from the region. Just I what you think. Of Verdicchio. Verdicchio, Verdicchio from Marche. Uh, there are so many local varieties in Italy that now are produced with much more ambition and the focus on quality than in the past. Verdicchio is one of those. That's F- a sharp, good fresh, tasty, beautiful variety. Two, two great answers. All right, before we wrap up, let's do a little tasting. It's not every day you have a couple of guys in front of you. We started, I think we poured out the Barbaresco. See. Si. So this is 2016, which we discussed was a good vintage year. Mm-hmm. So this is a young wine. Mm-hmm. Tell me this wine in its youth, how is it going to drink? And its ageability, how mm-hmm. is it going to drink? And tell me a little about the wine. It's uh, 2016 is, uh, we, we forecast, we don't have the crystal ball, but we forecast it's going to be one of the most ageable vintages uh, ever that Piemonte, that, that Barbaresco had. When you drink it, you can feel that there are firm tannins, so there is a, a sort of austerity mm-hmm. into in, in, and severeness in the wine. But the grapes were so ripe, and there, we had so many up and down in temperature during the spring and the fall, that the wine gained a juicy uh, that is wrapping those tannins uh, that mm. makes the wine very enjoyable and the perfume is 
very complex. This up and down in temperature helps the grapes not just to uh, express uh, ripe fruit expression, but when you drink it, you can you can talk about it for a long time. There are a lot of uh, citrusy notes, uh, orange, tangerine. There are a or lot of flowers expression, yes. uh, fruit. Uh, uh, and there is also, a, 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 I love the cleanness and the purity it's of, very uh, pure of wine. this vintage. It's very linear and pure. Yeah, lean, essential. Yes. And this can age Ooh. 20, 30? This wine, um, I am the first investor in my own wines. Okay. Meaning that... You bought uh, a lot of it? I kept a lot of it. I think it's going to turn very useful in 20, 30 years from now. Okay, so this is a long hold. But how is it drinking now? If, if, if people are anxious and they're in a restaurant and restaurants tend it's to... It's drinking beautifully. Okay, so it's good to drink now. Totally, yes. All right, now let's try, because i got to get you on an airplane. Let's try, we're going to go back a vintage year, 2015. We're moving from Barbaresco to Barolo. Si. This Sperse bottling, S-P-E-R-S-S, -S, that's the vineyard Sperse? Yes, Sperse okay. is the name that we gave to the vineyard. It's a vineyard that we bought in 1988. And Sperse, this is our first vineyard outside from Barbaresco. It's 20 kilometers far away from Barbaresco. And Sperse in our dialect means nostalgia. So my father wanted wanted to use a, a dialect word word mm -hmm. sparse, and it's a bit of a, a dedication to my grandfather that uh, always had an incredible uh, sense of uh, nostalgia for the village of Saralunga. Simply because when he was a child, uh, you remember he had a mother Clotilde Ray that was a very tough, severe mother, right. and uh, he, there was a specific moment in the year harvest time when my grandfather was allowed to leave home and to stay 10-15 days with friends in Saralunga helping them picking the grapes and for him those 10-15 days were the best of the year he could be away from his mother he could be free <laughs> he could uh, stay out until late so despite uh, he never had land in uh, in Serralunga. Uh, when you were mentioning Serralunga, he was uh, turning on. His <laughs> eyes were shining, and he was trying That's to great. explain you all his uh, memories of Serralunga. So sparse means nostalgia because of that. So this wine, 2015, the vintage I was really, a good vintage, right? Yes, so 2015 was uh, slightly warmer than than uh, than 16. <coughs> And uh, our spares usually is all about the structure, meaning that it's all about the sharp, lean tannins. Uh, it's a wine that is very profound, but also is not very uh, uh, showing perfumes when he's, uh, when he's young. It's generally not focusing on the fruit. It's more like tar, uh, it's more uh, white right. soil. all those nuances. Uh, yes. Yeah. But in a warm vintage like 2015, the wine keeps his own ruth, his own minerality, and is gaining another dimension that usually doesn't have. This beautiful uh, sweet fruit uh, notes that okay. are completing there, it. It is very, mm. the fruit is very sweet. So you can feel, when you smell it, you can feel the, the iron that is a characteristic it's a medium of this vineyard. Full, it, it, it's delicious. Um, what do we pair these foods with? What's famous? Um, this one, you notice that it is slightly bit uh, more sharp in tannins than Barbaresco. So when yes. you have a wine that has a bit more tannins, you have to go with something a little bit more fat. 
So better to go with a, a meat like a steak, uh, something that can the cut through the tannins lamb. of uh, lamb. Yes. What about the barbaresco? Barbaresco, you go with veal, you can go with white meat. A little lighter, chicken, yeah, chicken rabbit. Chicken, rabbit, uh, guinea fowl. All right, so that's the 2016 Gaia Barbaresco and the 2015 Gaia Sparis Barolo. All right, we got to wrap up, Gaia. Could sit here and talk all day. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening in our event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation, on Instagram, we're at SBenRuby, and on Twitter, we're at BenRuby. I know it's confusing. Use the hashtag. The Grape Nation. As I said before, Gaia, we will post your wine list answers. The reason I ask people like you those questions is people love to hear what you're drinking. And I will post all the wine selections, our weekly wine sips, so people know what we were drinking. Um, if we want more information about Gaia, you're not big on the websites and all that. Where, where do we find more info? Do you have any social media? Do you have a personal account? Mm, we can go on your uh, radio channel. Uh, <laughs> What's that? Your radio channel. Yes, your okay. Show. So we'll leave, you just Google guy and figure yes. it out on your own. <laughs> I think uh, your dad realized it's not about the website, it's about the wines. All right, thank you to our guest, Gaia Gaia. Uh, thank you to our engineers at Heritage and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Van Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.